I don't have uh, CBS All Access because I refuse to get another streaming network. I fair enough. Have drawn a line, and we'll see how long into the quarantine I cross that line. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well, we uh, we found other ways of viewing it. But do, do um, put that out on the internet. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast from San Diego, California. You are Keith Foster. Yes, uh, from Las Vegas, Nevada, you are Cassidy Robinson. And as I was just saying before we recorded, it's been a couple weeks since we've done one of these, but it feels like it's been a couple years. Welcome to the end times, my friend. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, a lot has happened in two weeks. Um, Sure has. Not the least of it, uh, normal Western society as we know it has basically crumbled apart in less than a week. Mm -hmm. Um, We still have the internet. We do. We still have the internet. We still have electrical grids up. Uh, We still have necessary services. It's okay. I'm being dramatic. It's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, But right now you should be staying at home. You should be under quarantine. Yeah, I I mean, the last time we talked about the coronavirus, COVID-19, I don't know, I maybe I I feel like I might have not sounded serious enough about the situation. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I say something like, uh, be cautious, but don't act stupid, I do mean, like, you know, listen to... The CDC, listen to World Health Organization, listen to your your uh, local and state governments. Like, yeah, you know, we're going to get through this. It's a weird period. And it's, you know, it's not 2020. Fun. No, it's not. 2020 is kind of going to probably be a shit show for the rest of the year. And, you know, nobody knows what the future is going to hold. I don't know. We're going to be fine, is my point. Just wash your hands, uh, <laughs> socially distancing, uh, y- you know, like... All the things. All the things. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to get too bogged down in, in, in Corona talk, because I think people generally are probably sick of hearing about it slash reading about it. Um, That's true. And it's, you know, probably going to be going on for... Oh, while yet it's been I've yes. been on uh, so they did send me to work from home so mm-hmm. um, I have been quarantined for about a week and I am going a little bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. Uh, but I did want to okay. announce I did want to announce at the top of the show that uh, this episode we are going to be talking about the Disney Pixar film. Onward, which was um, in theaters at a point in time and is now, I think, available to watch on VOD, um, I think available to purchase, and soon will be available to watch uh, if you are a Disney Plus subscriber. Yes, so, uh, um, I believe it's the, the first week of April they're dropping it onto Disney Plus, which is, I mean, yes, unprecedented, but also very cool. Yeah. Totally. Um, and uh, at the end of the show, we're going to be uh, doing the uh, the streaming homework that you gave me, uh, Don't Think Twice, um, which I was able to catch as well. But uh, I wanted to use this as a way of sort of saying we're probably going to have to restructure the show uh, for the time being, given that all theaters have basically closed and um, – uh, a lot of movies are being pulled from their release dates and such. So, like we said, everything's sort of a uh, period of adjustment right now, and so will be the podcast. Um, so, 
you know, for the next little while, we might do kind of more boutique episodes. We're reviewing older films, maybe doing more like listicle type stuff. Um, we'll we'll come up with something. We'll have content. We'll still be able to record oh. a movie podcast, but it might oh, not be gosh. as recognizable as the one that you're listening to right now. Uh, so with with all of this, like I said, I don't want to get too bogged down in talking about uh, epidemiology and virology and, and boring slash scary stuff. So, well, but I just want to talk about a little bit. Shit, that's shit we don't know about, you know, listen yeah. to the experts, uh, yeah. follow their advice. They'll get us through this. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, but I did want to talk about a little bit about sort of the unique position that a lot of people are in right now where they are quarantined at home. They're stuck at home. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to, uh, at the top of the show, discuss what a what media have you been consuming it doesn't have to be movies we used to do this kind of a little bit the consumo oh, bay yeah. Yeah. um and uh then i also wanted to talk a little bit about like suggestions that we might have for people as far as like what are you what's what are your your like comfort, comfort, comfort food, food go to movies like when you are sick now i'm not saying like sick with the thing but um, you know, yeah, if you're ever like, sent home or whatever, you're, you're stuck you're, at home. You you don't yeah. have anything. You, you don't have because I definitely you know? have a few movies that I've always watched when I when I wasn't feeling well. Uh huh. Um. So uh, we'll get we'll get there in a little bit. But yeah, what a, what uh, some media you've been consuming lately? Um. Hmm. I, so the new season of Westworld has uh, just just started. And mm-hmm. it's been really good so far. Um, this is the third season. I wasn't super into the second season. I felt like it was kind of like treading water and they were just trying to be a little too clever. And it was just confusing and not good. Um, yeah. There were a couple of decent episodes, but um, for the most part, the second season was kind of a slog uh, with a couple of like bright moments. But so far... Third season is off to a real good start. I am, like, back in on Westworld. Um, and it's, you know, it's nice that that it's dropping right now. <laughs> so it yeah. gives me something to look forward to every week and, and helps the days uh, not bleed together quite as much. Um, right. Also on HBO, I know I was late to the succession party, um, but we just finished the first two seasons of Succession, mm-hmm. and uh, damn, that is a fun, crazy show. Fun. Um, okay. I watched the pilot a while ago when all the Succession talk was, like, hitting online mm-hmm. and uh, to see what the big deal was. And I, yeah, I know you're never supposed to judge a show on its pilot because pilots are very hard to really establish a, a clear tone or whatever, but... I was not loving it. I was having a hard time finding characters to like. Um, oh, and well, okay. That's that is a place where you are going into that show mistaken. Yeah, uh, I, I figured it's it's about like asshole one percenters. It, I mean, it is more than that. It's it is like asshole one percent of the one percent. It it's yeah. Don't think of it as like this is our take on the one percent. Think of it as. This is a family drama about um, basically like a fictional account of like the Murdochs or the Waltons or the Cokes. Like, right. Like the the elite elite. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, you know, some, they do a good job, I think maybe a little later of making them like rounded three dimensional shells. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shell's even a harsh word. Like, I think they do a pretty good job of, of the show doesn't hate these characters. And that's, I think, important. Um, they're not good people, but it's all a matter of circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I probably I, should have watched a few more episodes before I, man, really I think it is opinion on it, but. so addicting. Like it is just, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a comedy, but it's really funny. And it like the dialogue just pops in a way that um, 
So if you're familiar, uh, if our listeners are familiar with Adam McKay, um, Mm -hmm. he's one of the producers, Adam McKay and Will Ferrell. Yeah. So, you know, this is similar sort of satire as... uh, uh, The Big Short. You know, uh, yeah, like Big Short and um, uh, the Dick Cheney movie, but... But less surreal. It's it's doesn't have any like fourth wall breaky moments, but it definitely has that wit. And yeah, I just find it completely engaging. Um, it's one of the few shows in a while that I have just been that sucked into where like I don't check my phone. I just like, you know, watch it. That and The Mandalorian. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think maybe give it another shot. All right. Uh, I don't have a ton for of like a consumo bay. Um, I I've been dipping back into. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, I just started sort of sitting in on a few episodes of Star Trek Discovery. And have you watched any of that? No, I haven't. I don't have uh, CBS All Access because I refuse to get another streaming network. I fair enough. Have drawn a line and. We'll see how long into the quarantine I cross that line, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we uh, we found other ways of viewing it, but do, um, don't put that out on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I watched I've watched a handful of episodes of the three or so episodes, um, and it's pretty cool. It, you can definitely tell it's it's the Star Trek television series post JJ Abrams verse. Mm-hmm. So it's trying, it's more tonally similar to that than it is like Generations or Voyager or whatever. I don't have a problem with that. No, I don't either. Believe me. And it's uh, Alex Kurtzman is a, is a co-producer of it who co-produced or co-wrote a lot of the J.J. Abrams um, verse movies. So there's okay. that. It, it has a really interesting cast like... Um, Doug Jones from the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro movies is in it and Anthony oh, Rapp cool. and, and, uh, do Jason I Isaacs. To, do I have to be well versed in Star Trek lore to get this? Because my, my big hesitation with sort of anything Star Trek anymore is yep. it's been going so long and there's so many, like, I don't know what's in continuity and what's not, and like what's no, no, no. This is definitely. Continuity. It feels like to me to draw a parallel to the comic book world. It definitely feels like the ultimate universe version of Star Trek. Like okay. they do reference certain things, like they'll mention Spock or something, um, or they'll oh, mention okay. like you know that like certain things exist, like Vulcans and and uh, Klingons and that kind of stuff. Like so, they pull from existing lore, but they don't. Uh, it's not heavily like set in the timeline of the overall canon. Um, it's so, very much its own crew, its own adventure kind of thing. Okay. And, so, and it's a lot more like battle war driven. So I think hardcore Trekkies might hate it because it, it's, it does feel uh, less been, like a show about like um, science and, and uh, exploration and, and, you know, con- communicating peacefully with people. It is definitely the most aggressive but, uh, show. I've heard nothing but good things about it, even from, like, Star Trek fans. I mean, I haven't been on, like, Reddit boards or anything, but... Right. um, So, I think it's pretty well regarded. Yeah, I mean, and it's also beautiful. Like, it's, you know, you have a big screen or whatever. It's definitely very cinematic. Um, The special effects are, like, bar none, the best that's ever been seen in a Star Trek series, or even some Star Trek movies, for that matter. Um, and they And they... Definitely try to make it feel bigger. Like it's not all stuck on these tiny little spaceship sets. Like there's a lot more <sighs> establishing it. shots and stuff. You're going to, so uh, you're going to make me end up getting CBS All Access <laughs> because I, I've actually wanted to watch this show for a while. Yeah. Um, I wanted to watch the new Twilight Zone and they're, they're also currently, I mean, I guess the production is probably on hold now, but. Um, mm-hmm. They were in the process of making a new adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. 
Um, yeah, they are. Well, yeah, I wonder what is going on with that now. Um, but yeah, yeah uh, we'll, I'm sure it will still come out eventually. It just will probably be later down the line. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, that is one other thing I've been into lately is I've been reading uh, Stephen King's The Stand because I'm like, fuck it, I might as well embrace it. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's been it's been pretty fun. Cool. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, I've been listening a lot to the latest record by the uh, musical artist, author, and Punisher is what he goes by. He's a uh, dude from San Diego, actually. He uh, is an engineer who invented musical instruments to play um, so that he doesn't have to have a backing band. Um so everything's kind of hooked up to, you know, gizmos and gadgets and like different like uh, stere- uh like audio equipment or whatever, but he creates these like these gigantic industrial sized machinery that, you know, clicks and clacks and does all these different things. Um while, you know, he plays keyboard and he has this like weird voice modulator attached to his throat and huh. uh it basically it's like very heavy distorted industrial music like it sounds a little bit like you know uh some of the noisier nine inch nails stuff or like godflesh or ministry like that type of stuff but like with a more uh doom laden depressive heavy quality droney sort of quality to it uh but yeah it's very experimental but also like it sounds like the end of the world so if you really want to like just go like if you want to imagine like what the people from John Connor's future when they're fighting the Terminators are listening to, it's probably something that sounds like Author and Punisher. Okay, cool. And it's <laughs> it's called. So is it like on Spotify or? Oh yeah, you just all of it? his stuff is on okay. Spotify. Um, I Under think Author and Punisher. Author and Punisher, yeah. And I I want to okay. say um, his latest album is called Beastland. Which okay. is so far his most accessible work, like the stuff that's more song oriented and less doomy, uh, droney soundscapes. Cool. All right. Uh, now, the, the, the other thing I wanted to get to, what are yeah. some of your favorite movies or television to watch when you're homesick? And don't say Lord of the Rings because you say that about everything. I mean, yeah, that's a perfect movie. That's like that. Like that is what I would watch if I like if I'm laid up, can't do anything. I'm gonna watch Lord of the Rings, all three of them, the extended <laughs> trilogy, because you're gonna be sick for a while. Uh, and it's it's great. It's uh, it's epic. Uh, all the special effects hold up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's about fellowship and hope. So. Um, you know, even when times get dark, there could be a little hobbit throwing a ring in a volcano somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is my go-to answer because that's pr- my go-to movie. I know that's why I was kicking, pulling the rug out from under you. Ah, but you didn't. I still said my piece. What, what do you watch when you're laid out sick? For, I don't know when this started, but for some reason, the movie I always feel like watching when I'm, like, lethargic or not feeling well or whatever is The Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. I don't know why. I think I just did it one time for whatever reason, and it just, like, hit the spot. Just something about the mood and the tone of the movie and sort of the way, I'm, like, I don't know, sort of the way it's paced um, it just feels right when I, when I'm in that state. And so for a long time, that's been, my, that's been my go-to. Okay. I, I can okay. also say as a child, I remember one time, uh, I was, I was feeling really sick and I tried to watch Men in Black, the original <laughs> Men in Black. And there's that scene. <laughs> <laughs> there's that's, that's, a, that's a bad idea it, it was kind of gross it was there's a lot is. of slime there's a like like i wouldn't watch ghostbusters probably you know because slimer yeah. would probably gross me out there's uh, that scene where will smith is, is giving birth to the like the squid alien 
And then yeah. it like throws up in his face. And I remember at that point, I was like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I can't do this one anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, do you have any others? Let me. Th- um, I mean, I like when I know I'm going to be able to sit down and and just veg for days on end. I like the big uh, sagas. So, you know, yeah. um, I might pick Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, obviously. I don't know. I've I've been really wanting to watch Mad Max Fury Road again, but, you know, I think that's more for the end of the world business than anything else. <laughs> well, you don't need a, a perfect one-to-one excuse to, to watch a movie. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is a lot of fun. Have you ever watched I, it I in the... Uh, the chrome version or whatever the black and white version i haven't i haven't yet um is that a feature available on your disc i think so i'd have to check i'm pretty sure i actually think mine might have come out before they released the the chrome edition yeah um so i don't know i'll have to check um yeah i i tend to to like i i mean my thing is I'll I'll kind of forget about movies sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I kind of need something to remind me of a movie. Not remind me, but like get me in that mood. Sure. Because um, like if I'm not in the mood for a movie, like it's just not going to happen. Sick or not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about TV? Is there any like, I, I mean, I know what you have been watching, but uh is there like a specific show that you think would sort of fit the the occasion? Because I remember <laughs> in two thousand eight uh, when the, we had the H one N one crisis, and we were all living together with a few other people, and one of our roommates got it, and somehow none of us, none of the other people in the house got the got it, which is crazy to me. But but uh, yeah, our roommate Adam binged all the first five seasons of supernatural while he was laid up for two weeks with h1n1 yeah that would be a good one um i might revisit twin peaks um oh sure because it has like has sort of a dreamy like it has a like a very daytime tv feel and Mm -hmm. like when i'm sick it sort of Reminds me of, you know, being home from school and only having daytime TV to watch. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Twin Peaks would be really a, a good choice. Yeah, especially if you've never watched it before and you want to get caught up. Um, yeah, I could see that being being viable. Uh, well, does, what if, does that satisfy you? Does that yeah. satisfy you? <laughs> it does. And your <laughs> thirst for content? <laughs> well, we gave you lots of options. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and start talking about Onward. Uh, do you want to describe that to me? What happens in that movie? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So in Onward, the it, this is set in a, a sort of a modern contemporary time of a world that used to be like a fantasy uh, Dungeons and Dragons style uh, world. So... Um, it used to be like, you know, back in sort of their dark ages or medieval time, they relied heavily on magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, electricity was in, uh, discovered and um, they sort of had a technological revolution similar to us. It's sort of a parallel. Um, uh, what if people like characters in D&D games lived in a modern suburban setting? Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the background of this this world that's being built here. Um, so, so, so things and, like elves and beasts and monsters and fairies and unicorns—they all exist in this world, but they're taken for granted. And quests and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like uh, history to them. So it's you know not something people are particularly excited by. It just it just you know was, and people have kind of forgotten the ways of magic. Um, for the, you know the convenience of of modern life, because um, being a wizard, being a, uh, a magic user was you know it was a skilled thing. It took practice. It took work. Um, not everybody could just 
it, it wasn't as easy as say flicking a light switch. Um, yeah. so people just kind of forgot and, and moved on. Um, and so the story starts with, uh, two brothers, uh, the Lightfoot brothers played by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt respectively. And on Tom Holland's birthday, he gets his father's, uh, wizard staff, um, as, as his, his, uh, like 16th birthday, their father, uh, passed away before he was born or, or when he was a baby, I think. I, I don't think he ever got to meet a, his dad. Along with that was a spell uh, that would resurrect their father for one day. Um, and so uh, uh, Chris Pratt's character, Barley, uh, he is like sort of a, a metalhead D&D nerd type of guy. Um, he's really into like this historical fantasy and he doesn't have the same sort of latent magical abilities as his father. And so, man, this is kind of a convoluted setup. Anyway, <laughs> they try to cast this spell, this resurrection spell, and it gets bungled, um, leaving him only half resurrected from the waist down. Uh, so, and the gym that was used to to create the spell was was broken so they have to go on this magical quest like the days of of the past um to find this magical stone so that they can complete the spell and uh see their their dead father for you know one more time yeah and i think it's kind of fitting that you described it that way uh with all the ins and outs and you know kind of rules and stuff that goes along with with the uh, the mythology of the movie, uh, because when I was writing about this, I said, um, you know, it on paper, it looks like it's just way too expository. Like there's so much to explain. You have to explain sort of the the uh, the world that they live in. This 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 mm-hmm. conceit that it's a a magic world with modern convenience that they've forgotten about and take for granted now and blah blah blah. Then you then from there you have to introduce your characters obviously and then you have to introduce all of this personal backstory that leads them on this quest and and you know all these different rules of like how this magic is supposed to work. Um, what's incredible in my opinion about the movie is that given all of that, uh, the screenplay is able to cut right through the fat and just mm. give you just enough exposition along the way to never bog down the story stuff, which is your characters and your emotional storytelling. Um, well, I mean, yeah. So that, I mean, that is one thing that, you know, uh, Disney and Pixar especially has always excelled at was, yeah. is, you know, they they have these sort of fun... High you concept, know, high concept worlds, but they're so good at that. The emotional core of this of their stories, like, uh, you know, you can strip this movie down to what is it about? It's it's about two brothers who who bond over the memory of their father, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that sets you know again Disney and Pixar aside from a lot of the competition. Um, with a few exceptions, uh, but like as a studio, is they're consistently able to to think of it on that term first, and then the rest is just sort of is is the dressing. It's the it's the flavor, um, and I think that's you know what largely separates these movies from like generally DreamWorks or 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 other sort of less monolithic animation studios is uh generally speaking they they try to get that emotional story first and yeah i think uh this movie definitely succeeds in that i i do i do think at the beginning i was a little worried while i was watching it because the the beginning is pretty expository like i'm talking like the first 10 15 minutes or so um i was a little like Oh, okay, you know, like slow right. down. What's going on? Um, but once it gets to the story, the adventure, you know, it's it's sort of like 
Okay, here's all this stuff, and let's get it out of the way so that we can just have fun and play in this world. Absolutely. And one of the things I really enjoyed about this movie, outside of the the, the story stuff, um, is the way that the, the plot is sort of sequenced in these sort of adventure uh, tropes. So we have, oh, totally. like, puzzles to solve and clues to find and booby traps and this kind of stuff. And it kind of reminded me of a little bit of, like, a, a Goonies slash Indiana Jones style plotting. And yeah, it's not it, something you really get in family programming anymore. Not not a lot. And I think it also is true to the source material. Like, you know, this feels more like a D&D movie than the actual Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> movie that came out. Because sure. they're, they're relying so heavily on that sort of uh, just sort of implied backstory of, you know, the, that... Basically, every D&D campaign that you ever had was real at some point, and this is this is where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I... And I think also all of these are why this movie was kind of hard for them to market. Yeah. Because, uh, like, I remember seeing the trailers and being like, okay, that looks like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the trailers were very... Uh, very withholding of of all of all of this stuff, and I think you would kind of want to be, but also maybe I don't maybe do the movie's detriment. It's hard to tell, you know, because of the circumstances, like how well the marketing really did. But I uh, I think that uh, yeah, when I saw the trailer, and one of my complaints with the movie even still is that the character designs are not very inspired. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, they're that. just kind of blue elves. Looking well, like some, humanoids. Some of them are really are really fun. Like um, I love the Manticore. Um, I I think uh, the the Pixies are pretty fun. But like, yeah. but yeah, like our main characters just they sort of look like giant Smurfs. Um, right. And yeah, like regular and, clothing. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, but also like. The character design of the dad, who sort of becomes this like weakened at Bernie's uh, stuffed man, is is really fun and good. Sure. And then um, the the monster at the end, I thought was incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's a there's a big like battle at the end that's a, that's a really really well done. And one of the things I liked about this is there's this epic scale like fantasy journey going on with all of these things. That takes place in one kind of small town setting. Yeah. So yeah. they use they use the surroundings of the small town um, to kind of like balance that out. Again, it's sort of in a Goonies sort of way. Totally, and it feels it feels um, really flushed out without like without them having to do too much. Like, there's not you know unnecessary jumping around of like crazy set pieces there you know there is an adventure path they follow yeah um, but you know there's the school and there's the the restaurant and there's a gas station and, and stuff that, that that it doesn't feel uh overly indulgent when it mm-hmm. comes to how much the movie hops around on this path yeah but the set pieces are creative and they are fun oh yes they they are i i don't mean that in a bad way i mean it in like a instead of just jumping around from place to place to place like they they make these places that they choose to visit feel important and feel uh you know real and and they i my problem with sort of dungeons and dragons type stories in media is i think it's really easy for stuff to feel generic um yeah. because there's, you know, manual upon manual upon manual that uh, Gary Gygax and the Wizards of the Coast, like, created. So I think when it's represented in media, it tends to sort of be a diluted version of that and sort of dumbed down and doesn't feel real. Whereas this takes that as, like, a starting point, like they would a fairy tale or whatever, um, but then they fill it in with you know, their own creativity, which I, that's one of the things I really liked about it. It didn't feel like it was pandering or lazy. 
Yeah, I agree. I thought I've, and it also didn't feel like it was just um, borrowing from from these other like like D and D or Tolkien or World of Warcraft or whatever. Like it definitely understands all of those medias and is in and is pulling from them, but it doesn't feel like it's just. Um, you know, breaking up something we already know and serving it up in a new way. I think it's it. It feels like its own version of whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it. They just use those references as a starting point, like you should, and then you know created their own world, their own universe around that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I I will say like I did have a little bit of a hard time getting into this movie just at the very beginning, but the the last third of this movie mm-hmm. i think is might be one of pixar's best holy yeah. shit i i wasn't expecting this movie to get me but it fucking got me like for sure damn the the ending is is so well done and and like they 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 lay all that groundwork so that it can all come together in a really emotional um and satisfying way yeah, totally. And that, you know, going back to my complaint about the character designs, I think that the um the voice acting by Holland and Pratt more than make up for that. And I think you really do get a feel for the characters pr- pretty well into the movie. Um and so by the time you get to that stuff, you know, the emotional payoff, um it's all 100% earned. Uh yeah. and I also really like, you know, Julia uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus as her mother, um, Octavia Spencer as the Manticore. We mentioned her before. She's this giant mythical beast who runs like a casual dining restaurant. Um, and <laughs> yeah, her her uh, her tavern <laughs> where the hero's quests start got sort of converted into like this like an chain. Applebee's. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it, it's a fun conceit, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I my only issue really with the movie. Uh, on a on a story level, is I the stuff with the dad legs? Nah, I didn't think was a hundred percent necessary, or all the t- or all the time as funny as I thought it was. Um, there's a lot of like uh, physical humor and a lot of like uh, slapstick that that goes along with that, which has never really been my thing. Um, but also on a on a um, I guess on a uh, story level or whatever. I'm thinking about like, you know, them like these two brothers, like when, when we see dad, blah, 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 you know, what are you going to tell him? And, nothing, you know, what are the things you've always wanted to say? And I'm thinking the whole time, it's like, he's there. He's right there, literally next to you. Yeah, you don't have a torso or a head, but, you know, you should be making the most of it. Even They are, they do have a one level well, of communica- communication. They can do like tapping his feet and stuff like that. And he does, inter- he does try to interact with them uh, throughout yeah, the whole I, movie. But I also think that's, that's kind of the point of it. And they, they, they actually bring that up in the movie. Um, uh, you know, they're part, you know, part of the idea of the movie is that they have this limited time frame to, to bring the dad back. And so, yeah, it's like you know, 24 hours or something like that. Yeah. And so at a certain point it is like, well, this is, you know, is this a waste of time or should we just try to make the most of it? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I actually thought that was a really, um, really clever conceit. And like, uh, uh, I don't know. I thought I actually, I liked all that stuff. And there's, there's one moment in particular um, that I thought was a really good payoff for that. Um, there is some, you know, slapsticky physical humor, but I, I actually think that they could have done that a lot more. And I was afraid that they were going to sort of uh, beat that button to death and and um, and go over the top with it. But I, to me, it felt like just sort of the right amount. Yeah, the, it's not, it's not a deal breaker for me. But I think about it and I'm like, would the story work without it? Like if if, it, if they had bungled the spell, they were able to see him for, you know, a minute there and then he wasn't there. But then they knew that if they complete this thing, they could see him later. Um, would the story work still? And I, I think it does. So I, don't, I, I mean, I 
don't think it does. <laughs> like, I think that, that part of it is they do need this sort of physical presence there to to keep them going. Because I think I think without that, it would be... No, I, I think they do need it. <laughs> and again, there's there's parts of the movie that it feels really like well earned to me. Um I, I think I'm gonna have to disagree with you on on this point. I, I liked dad pants. Okay. Um all right, yeah. It uh other people might feel differently about that. Uh, that was just sort of my take on on that specific aspect of the story. But um otherwise I, I do have I do have one question for you. Sure. Uh, and I, I was talking about this with my friend Ted. Um, and I think Chris Pratt is great and does a really good job um, in, in the movie. He's There's nothing missing from his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, do you wonder if they went to Jack Black first? Doesn't this feel like sort of a Jack Black type character? It does. It does. Uh, I mean... Story-wise, you know, structurally especially, this is kind of like the fantasy cartoon version of Orange County. Yeah, kind of. It, yeah, that's actually a pretty good... Um, I think I would... I think this is a better movie than Orange County, though. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's... It's it's a little bit more ambitious and and there's stuff going on um, a little bit more emotionally. But, but, you know, if you're talking about two brothers on a journey that, are, you know, they're kind of an odd couple, you got the nerdy uh academic kid and then you got the the fuck up older um stoner uh, that's essentially what they're doing here it's very similar relationship dynamic um so maybe that's what made you think jack black but yeah well, also just like his you know he he's known for like metalhead sort of uh lovable screw-ups like uh yeah uh, that's just sort of his it's a it's sort of a a blackian archetype. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I would I would agree. And do you ever did you ever see that movie Along Came Polly? I didn't. It's not good, but there's the uh there's this character that Philip Seymour Hoffman plays that feels like he got a Jack Black left over. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Uh but yeah, I, I I see what you're saying there. I, I really do like Pratt's performance in the no, movie. No, yeah, I don't think it's a problem. I'm, I wasn't like, oh, they should have got Jack Black. <laughs> I, it was more just like, a, why didn't they get Jack Black? But I think Chris Pratt is great. And and honestly, yeah. it makes sense because both Tom Holland and Chris Pratt have, you know, worked with the, the Marvel Universe. So, you know, they're sort of known. And, yeah, they're kind of um, easier, yeah. probably easier to access. Probably also, and this could be a marketing thing or a branding thing or whatever, but Jack Black is so well known as Kung Fu Panda that they probably didn't want to have to worry too much about like kids getting confused about the voice. I, I don't think kids give a shit about the voice. Like I I, know, but that's the type of thing that like boardroom people think about. No, I think it would be more like, uh, well, they're both doing Marvel movies next year, so we can easily schedule this, and we know their schedules work around it. I think it's more yeah. that than anything else. Again, Chris Pratt is great. I don't think it had to be Jack Black. I just, uh, but it feels it like, it. like, yeah, yeah. Part of it was like, huh? Wonder why they didn't get Jack Black. Anyway, <laughs> it's just a, a uh, yeah. No, I, right. I know what, what you're saying. Do you, what do you give onward? Uh, I give it an A minus. I think this is this is terrific and much better than I thought it would be. Um, a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, same for me. A minus. Um, I I didn't have a lot of expectations going into this. Um, it might be the last movie I see in theaters for <laughs> some time. Yeah. Um, and and you know I can think of worse movies to have seen. Yeah, absolutely. And and also, again, uh, this is available on demand now, um, and it's going to be on Disney Plus in, in a couple weeks. So if you weren't able to get out to see it in theaters, I highly recommend it. I think kids are going to love it. Um, it's going to be something, you know, you can all watch at home together uh, and, and, you know, is fun and, and exciting and new. So I, I highly recommend people take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, and even though... Yeah, you you might get a little bit more out of it in a theater than you would on a on a big screen. I think it'll work just fine at home too. Totally. 
All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, streaming homework, which you assigned me last week. Don't think twice. And I will uh, set this up. This is an independent film written and directed by comedian Mike Birbiglia. And it it takes place in New York, I believe, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and it's a... Focuses on a small improv improv comedy troupe uh, who are kind of trying to make their next move. the the troop uh, The troop's future is sort of in question because they're losing their practice space or their the space that they hold their shows. Um, so they're trying to find a, a sort of a way out there. But also, everybody's starting to get a little bit older. They've been doing this for a while, and they're trying to find their next step in the world of comedy specifically everybody seems to be uh gearing up or sort of auditioning to be on the show called weekend live which is an analog to saturday night live um and uh there's a couple members who during a show that they uh that they're doing for themselves uh they're they have a couple uh weekend live people in the audience who catch their performances and we have uh keegan michael key and uh Michael Key and Gillian Jacobs, um, who are who are both a couple in real life. Well, not not in real life of outside of the world of this movie, but they are a couple. <laughs> the in character, this, the, the characters, characters in the film are a couple. Are a couple. Damn, <laughs> and, that was hard. And they are both uh, called upon to audition for for this uh, for this uh, television show that they all kind of hate, but all want to be on at the same time. Um, so, (laughs) so, uh, that is the truth. (laughs) Yeah. So so they, uh, they go and, um, they do their auditions and they do them separately. And Keegan Michael Key's character is, uh, accepted into the show and that Gillian Jacobs isn't. And what happens is we see this sort of tension in the group dynamic and jealousies and, uh, divisions happening, um, Based upon what happens when one of these uh, one of these uh, comedians gets a new type of success and what effect it has on their unity as a troop. Yeah, and it's also it's the type of job that everybody in the troop. I mean, pretty much anybody who's a comedian thinks is their dream, uh, even if it might not actually be their dream. Right. So, um, yeah. I mean, you assigned this to me, obviously, and I know that you were a big fan of it because I think it ended up on your top 10 um, on mm-hmm. one of the years, uh, maybe the first year you were on the podcast. And so having rewatched it, um, is there anything new that you got from it or a new take or or uh, how do you how do you feel about it now? Um, yeah, I I mean, I still really liked it. I, I think. <laughs> there, you know, there's some things that are a little that I get that they had to do for movie's sake. Um, you know, like it, it definitely is sort of like a fundamental um, crash course in what improv is. Um, uh, it, but the movie's not really about improv. It's just improv is is sort the of the backdrop of this yeah. is, of this group dynamic, and that's one of the things I like about it. It's not like here's an improv movie. It's uh, you know, it's a drama, a dramedy, um, that happens to center around an improv troupe. I mean, the thing that I I really like about this movie is how, and this was true upon rewatching it too. I mean, just how well I feel like Mike Birbiglia, uh, as a writer, can tap into this world of you know, like the, the dynamic of this sort of comedic troupe, like there are times when it feels like he was fucking spying on me, <laughs> uh, and, and my life. And, and I think there's just so much, uh, in this movie that is, at least to my experience was, was pretty, uh, spot on the money for group dynamics like this. Um, yeah, and just like you know, the 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 things that don't matter that can cause tension, and the things that do matter that we try to ignore um, for the sake of politeness or whatever. Um, so that 
that's what really stood out to me about this movie was just how well he's able to to capture that sort of uh, group dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I think that's sort of what stuck out to me too is sort of how well, not only how well it's written as far as that goes, how believable it is. Obviously, all of the people in this movie, um, we probably should mention more of the cast here. Uh, yeah, because it's, I mean, it really is a, a big ensemble. Yeah, uh, Berbiglia also plays one of the main characters. Uh, Chris uh, Gethard, uh, Kate Micucci, Tammy Sagar. Yeah, uh, Sagar, Tammy Sagar, I think yeah. you pronounce it. Um, they're all in this too. They play the other members of the troupe. And I think they do a really good job of feeling familiar with each other, like there's an implied history there. And they also do a really good job um or uh Berbiglia does a really good job at sort of capturing capturing the nuances of of uh of a professional slash friendly relationship because that is I mean maybe you never had to deal with this directly because the comedy project in Pocatello, Idaho was never like never destined for great things exactly. Whoa, 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 whoa. what are you saying here, Cassidy? <laughs> you know, based tread, upon tread lightly. Uh, Tread lightly. Based upon where it was geographically and sort uh-huh. of like uh-huh. how the turnaround worked and everything. It was it was definitely a No, uh, I know. We're more we're of not a, on you know, we weren't on uh yeah. SNL's radar. You know, we weren't, yeah. weren't Second City in Chicago. Yeah, or, or the Groundlings uh, or something like that. Yeah. U C B, yeah. But it, it was it was more of a place to learn and then you graduate on to other things. Um and so I don't know if like you ever if if it was exactly a one for one, but I, I, I'm it is kind of a strange dynamic where you are friends, like yes. genuinely friends, and you hang out with each other and you know each other very intimately. Yeah, but it is also sort a, of a professional angle to it, where slowly. and a collaborative angle to it, where I bet that line gets really blurry and moves around a lot. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh. Again, that that's another thing that I think he captures really well in this is, is yeah, that's exactly true. Like, your friends, you spend all of your time together. Um, mm-hmm. You know each other better than anybody else in the world. And you genuinely want each other to succeed and do good things. But, but then, you know, there's still that there can still be that that sneaking pang of jealousy when somebody gets something that you wanted or um you know somebody has and and you know maybe the levels of success don't translate the same um but you, you know it uh the fact that you want your friends to succeed, but then it hurts when you're not chosen for a thing is, is pretty universal, I think. And yeah. And yeah, the fact that like at the end of the day, if you want to continue to, to make this group dynamic work, uh, you have to, you, you know, you have to be professional about some things. You have to make decisions about, uh, you know, the theater that you play at and your shows and, and things like that. And and that can get complicated when there's personal tension, when there's um when there's drama. It it, it can get really fucking hard. Yeah, I bet. And and uh, there's a lot of. Yeah, because then you have to approach these things not as friends, but as colleagues sometimes. And, you know, uh that can be really difficult, especially when you have interpersonal, like romantic relationships that are happening within the group as well. That that adds another level of well. Of that, I mean, that strangeness. definitely also happens <laughs> in improv troops. Sure does. Um, so yeah, I liked I liked the nuances of all of those uh, levels of of group dynamics. The only thing I can really say about it, as far as a negative goes. Um, it's not shot particularly well. It's it it is like an independent film, you know. It's made very modestly, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but sometimes, like even in that, uh, there's like some of the I don't know uh, the cinematic quality of it is a little lacking. It's a little television esque. Uh, sometimes it, it definitely feels more written than directed. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah, not. It doesn't look horrible, and I've seen I've seen a shit ton of independent film that are just on this level or or even below it that I love. 
But yeah, I mean, you know, on a visual level, it's it's a little flat. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I don't uh, disagree with that. But I, but again, I don't think that's uh, really what you're coming to this movie for. No. And and you know that doesn't mean that independent movies can't um, be shot beautifully and have um, you know amazing cinematography. But yeah. this. It, and to a point, sort of you, like, you don't want that it, for a story like this, because this is more of a character-oriented story. Um, yeah. it, it gets the job done uh, yeah. in, in a fairly efficient way. Um, and I do think it does add, you know, a level of uh, intimacy uh, to these characters. And, and, and I think that's, you know, why a lot of uh, independent movies kind of look like this. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much uh, all I have to say against it. Uh, I don't think it, it maybe didn't resonate with me quite as much as it did for you, uh, for obvious reasons. Even though I've lived a lot of your, you know, your comedy project life vicariously, um, I uh, so I'm perfectly aware of all of the all of the uh, inside <laughs> baseball of uh of the yeah, ins and outs yeah. of of a comedy troupe um and that so I'm, i probably was able to connect to this movie more than maybe the average joe that would be an interesting you know thing to test uh yeah, i do i do kind of wonder about that but i think that the things again kind of kind of what we were just talking about with onward i think that the emotional storytelling here um, yeah i would think is pretty universal like we've all you know you everybody experiences jealousy everybody experiences uh hurt and heartbreak and and everybody uh personal ambition and yeah yeah, so maybe you know the specifics of it are, are one of the things that really drew me towards it but i think you know i would have I would have also enjoyed this movie had it been about a baseball team or a bowling league. Sure, not and, quite and as much. There's, there's, yeah, you could you could swap out that setting with anything and and, and tell a similar story for sure. Um, I just wondered if if people see this group of thirty something year olds complaining about who's getting on TV and who isn't, and things like first world problems. I mean, I'm. I think that that criticism probably exists, but I think that that criticism can also exist about a lot of fiction. Yeah. Um, you, you know, <laughs> we're telling it from a first world perspective. So I think that is kind of a lazy criticism of things. Sure. Uh, sometimes. Not, yeah. not all the time. I think sometimes it can be warranted, but, but to just, sort of write stuff off as that uh, as like oh look at these privileged assholes like is like okay you know you're not really giving it a chance um so i mean i yeah i don't know it would be interesting i I, if anybody who's listening isn't familiar with me or my life or comedy (laughs) or or things like that um and, and wants to give this a shot to see you know, if they can still relate to it, I'd definitely be interested to hear because that was something I thought when I first saw this was, you know, I mean, yes, this is a movie that's tailor made for me. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, But, you know, how much does a layman enjoy it? Um, I, I'd be interested to know. Uh, another thing that I do really like about this movie, um, you know, is is we've talked about like a lot of the emotional storytelling and stuff. Um, I also think there's a really good sense of, of them just hanging out and yeah, like the, the inside jokes they have feel real without feeling dumb or forced. Um, it, like it really feels like a group of people that just hang out a lot. And that's something that I thought uh, that I don't think that a lot of movies can necessarily capture well um especially when it comes to a group dynamic i think it's a little easier when it's just like a couple friends mm-hmm. um but when it's a whole group of people uh i think that sometimes it's really hard to make that that sort of bonding feel authentic yeah i agree i think that was 
that was kind of what I was trying to get at before is I think like the group dynamic here is really strong and it feels very natural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, given that these are all fairly well-known like B or C list comedians, but Hey, some of them are a list. Yeah. There's a, there's a spectrum there. I I would say Mike Berbigula, you know, he can sell out theaters. He, yeah. He's he the thing. Run on Broadway. Keegan Michael Key's pretty big. Um, Gillian Jacobs yeah. pretty big. Chris Gethard, I think is more lesser known, but he's definitely in the background of a lot of your favorite comedy. Oh yeah. He, I, he is, I think he's like the biggest cult comedian that exists. He's like, really funny without like, he's like the king of like the effortlessly funny. Oh my god. He yeah, totally. Like he, there's this really funny is, like I think uh, at this interview he did with John Hamm a few years ago where he was uh pretending to be a uh a uh, in, uh interviewer for Rolling Stone or something like that and then <laughs> him and John Hamm I think it's improvised or just like going back and forth about how uh John Hamm never really got into the Smiths, but then he like goes on to describe <laughs> the Smiths in like very detailed <laughs> also, uh, if you know anything about Chris Gethard, you'd know he's a huge fan of the Smiths. Yeah, so uh, maybe it was maybe it was like partially based on truth and they were just riffing, but it was really, really funny. Uh, it, you're not <laughs> Chris Gethard's wrong. like he's like, also, you're describing like, my favorite band to me better than I could. If you want to go down a fun uh, rabbit hole, check out his show, The Chris Gethard Show. Uh-huh. It was a YouTube um it was, or well, it was a public access show in New York, um, and then it just sort of gained enough momentum that it got like this online presence. Eventually, it was picked up by Fuse. Um, it is, I mean, it is the most like punk rock, weirdest shit show uh, that like sort of talk show it, it, that. Uh, it, and he was one of the first people to sort of do that. That's sort of a thing now is riffing on the late night talk show formula. Yeah. Um, and he was just like, kind of like, I'm going to do that, but fuck it. It's going to be in just like zero budget, all volunteer. And so he was all... like Eric Andre before Eric Andre. Kind of. I th- It might have been similar times, but um, mm. uh, yeah, I recommend it. There's this episode with Jason Manzukis and Paul Shear as guests. And it is one of the most compelling episodes of television that you'll ever watch. It's like 20 minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> it's insane. It's so much fun. Um, but yeah, he, he's fantastic. Um, but I mean, you know, so is the whole cast here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kate Micucci's great. Uh, Tammy Sager. I... I don't think I've seen a lot with her, but um, she's definitely one of those recognizable people, though. Like I've watched her, I'm like, I've definitely seen you and stuff. I just can't place it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think she really uh, gets to shine in this too. Her her mm. character is uh, really really interesting. Yeah, so the script does a really good job of giving everybody something to do and like giving them a role in this in the in the overall group dynamic and not letting some people fall through the cracks. Uh, which is easy to do when you're juggling that many personalities. The only thing that I can say bad about this movie is that I completely hate it because I didn't make it. <laughs> like, this this feels like one of those things that, like, I always have sort of wanted to, to make something like this, but now it exists. Somebody right. did it, and I don't think I could do it better. That's the other thing, is he, he did it so well that I'm like, well... Fuck it. <laughs> um, right, right. All right. Uh, well, that is the show. And if anybody has anything to say about either of the films that we talked about in this episode, Onward or Don't Think Twice, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on our social media, facebook.com slash mcguffinpod or at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me individually on Twitter at VC Cassidy. You can also follow me individually on Instagram at VC Cassidy. Um, and you can read the reviews that I write weekly or every other week for the Idaho State Journal um, by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies, and you will see the reviews that I do there every 
every so often. Um, and uh, be sure to check out the other articles and reviews that are written for the MacGuffin at MacGuff.in. Um, and uh, check out the other content that they're providing. And like I said, uh, as far as the future of the show goes, we're going to have to sort of restructure. We're going to have to start thinking outside of the box. So if anybody has any ideas or suggestions for like specialty episodes or boutique episodes or, you know, things you've always or, wanted or to see us talk like, about. Yeah, or movies you just want us to uh, to watch. Maybe do a deep dive on something. If you like, just do a full fucking episode on Jurassic Park, you know, or something like that. Go ahead and email us with ideas um, or message me on uh, on Twitter if you're following me or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll put it in the pipeline and we'll try and work something out. Uh, Keith, what are your things? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. I sort of keep going back and forth on whether I want to be on or off Twitter. Right now I'm off it because... Uh, it's not super fun. Yeah, the it's, called, it's the bad news machine right now. I mean, it has been pretty much for years, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, taking a break from, uh, that kind of stuff, you know, take, take breaks from social media, but if you aren't, follow me at Keith Foster Kid, <laughs> um, you can follow me, uh, you can check out my website at www.keithfosterkid.com. Um, I just put up a, a new reel, um, that my friend Natalie Kazarowski made for me, and I'm really proud of it. So, you know, if you want to do something super nerdy and spend five minutes watching my actor reel, uh, <laughs> go to my website and check it out. Um, uh, also, you can follow uh, this group that I'm a part of, at Video Fasties on Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. We're starting to put out a little bit more content, um, just some fun uh you know little videos and little uh little sketches we try to keep them under a minute um uh and you know we're to a bunch of bunch of jokes about how all our respective quarantines are going uh you know so if you want something to help make light of this weird time we're in that's that's a fun uh fun follow as well all right cool i think that is the episode put it in oh for onward! Stay safe. <laughs>